Welcome to this special edition of the The Generation Podcast, where we'll be broadcasting all the sermons and workshops for the 2021 The Generation Youth Summit. I'm Bobby Bosler, and in this seventh installment in our series, Pastor Wayne Van Gelderen preaches to us on Thursday night after a full day of competition and preaching and food. Uh, we gathered in the auditorium of Falls Baptist Church for our evening service. And um, the way the Lord was leading us in our progression, we really felt like at this point in the program uh, and in the development and unfolding of truth, we needed to lay out the answer. And Pastor Van Gelderen indeed did that. He brought us to John 15 and talked to us about what it means to abide in Christ. You know, uh, often it's easy for us to think that the maintaining of our spiritual life is our responsibility alone, but the good news, as Pastor presents it, is that God is tending to us. And our responsibility is to abide in Christ. Our responsibility is to yield to him, let him deal with us, and depend upon him to bear fruit in us and through us so that our lives can indeed turn the world upside down for Christ. Listen and be encouraged in this message entitled, Abiding in Christ. Throughout this last day, we have been hearing some tremendous messages getting right down to some of the key issues of the Christian life, the problems that we face, some of the solutions. And I do remember, believe it or not, I know it's a long time ago, but I do remember sitting in seats like you're in and hearing great preaching. Had the privilege of going to the Bill Rice Ranch years ago when it was led by Dr. Bill Rice, the founder. And that really does date me there. And Dr. Paul Levine was the, uh, the great preacher there uh, at the ranch. And I remember being stirred many a time uh, during my uh, freshman, sophomore years of uh, high school. And yet the thought would, uh, would come across, this is good, but you know, I just don't think I can do it. I don't know if I can keep that kind of commitment. Satan loves to get you to question yourself. You have made decisions and you've fallen. You've had times when you've been stirred and you've seemed to, you've seemed to lose it in your Christian life. And that is a tool that Satan will use to try to get you to believe that what's the use? You're just going to be sort of an up-and-down Christian. I remember in my sophomore year, at the very end of the year, I won't go through the story, but God wonderfully worked in my heart. I got to spend three weeks with my parents outside of uh, the country. We went to 13 countries together. It was a miracle I was able to go, and we ended up at the, at the uh, uh, Bible lands and at the uh, garden tomb where the resurrection uh, took place. And Dr. Ed Nelson, who he just mentioned, was the preacher. And I'll never forget sitting there, and it hit me. This is real. This is real. Jesus rose from the grave. And I came home, and the very first message, I don't remember what my dad preached, but I came forward and put, just fell in my dad's arms and said, Dad, I surrender. I believe it. I believe God can do it. And uh, God really did change my life at that time. But you know, it's very easy to begin to depend upon yourself and 
our youth group began to have some good things happen. And I was working at a, a little grill in Chicago. And if you haven't been on the south side of Chicago, it's hard to explain what this little grill was. It didn't even have tables and chairs, just stools around a counter. And uh, it was good food. Uh, it was quite the place. And uh, one of us normally, except for lunch hour, would be doing the work. We'd take uh, the orders. We couldn't write it down. We just had to remember it. And uh, you had to do the cooking right in front of everybody and the serving and the whole business. I really, as I told the college the other day, I learned to multitask really well uh, when I was doing that. It was just a great experience. I had a godly boss. But for a period of time, I uh, worked the later shift. And one of the deals that uh, the owner had was it was totally free for Chicago policemen to come in through that period of time. He was very wise. It was great to see the blue in there through those windows, you know. And so he wanted uh, uh, the policemen there. And back in those days, Mayor Daley had big policemen. I mean, they were big, big guys. And, uh, and I remember getting to know them. And I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a... I'm a good kid, and I, I was wanting to see if I could have, be a good testimony. And one guy in particular, his name was Scotty. He had a Scottish brogue uh, accent, and uh, he's about, he was six foot four, six foot six, probably about 250, 300 pounds, big dude, and, uh, but a tender-hearted guy, and we, we hit it off. And I remember trying to witness to him. He was a little tough in that area. And uh, so I'm beginning to feel like, you know, like I'm living out the Christian life. Well, at the same time, I hit 16. Boy, that was big. And on my 16th birthday, which with, from my experience, my poor kids um, didn't get their licenses till they were 18. But anyway, you'll see why in just a minute. I got my license and I got th this car. It's, any of you remember a Corvair? They, they're not even in museums. They were so bad. I mean, my Corvair, it was a pathetic car. That's why I was able to buy it. It had a hole in the, in the floor. And so even if it was 10 below outside, the exhaust was coming up. So I had to have all the windows down. It was a great car. I mean, it was an experience. And it, and it didn't have a good exhaust. Uh, the muffler had uh, gotten eaten out, and so it really sounded like a real hot rod, you know. It was, of course, not really. Uh, so I thought I, I was really something else. And so uh, one of the days, I was pretty soon after I got my license, I got, uh, got my car, and I felt like I was somebody, you know. And, uh, and so I uh, turned off of 63rd Street, went south on Kedzie. Any of you Chicagoans know uh, where that is? And... Man, it just felt good to drive. And I forgot that I was in a Chicago, you know, Chicago streets. And I don't know what my MPH was, but it wasn't the speed limit. And I'm going down there, and all of a sudden, those lights were in my rear view into my first experience, which tells you I've had a couple others, but uh, my first experience. And, uh, and this big old guy was on the motorcycle behind me, and I'm just dying. So I pull over. I would, and guess who it was? Scotty, if you got it. He looks in there. He says, man, you idiot. What are you doing? He smacked me on the side of the head. And he said, get out of here before anybody sees us. And so shoo, I got out of there. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get a ticket. And, uh, and 
But, you know, the next time I saw him in the grill, I was very, very humbled. And, uh, and actually, the Lord really used that. Yeah, you're really, a, you're really quite the Christian, aren't you? Now work on your testimony. And Satan actually, I got convicted, and I think Satan used it to discourage me a little bit. But I began to realize I needed a walk with God that wasn't dependent on me. You see, we, we think about after we come to a place of surrender, i got to keep surrendered. Well, we have to decide to be surrendered. But my friends, there is a great truth that goes beyond us doing it. We don't save ourselves, and we do not keep ourselves in a place of victory. There is great news. The gospel's just not that we're saved by grace, but as we heard earlier this morning, we are kept and we are given victory by grace. But, you know, we often hear truths, and we have a tendency to let those truths slip. This is a true story. After World War II, the country of Greece, which was a really uh, weak country at that time, they had gone through a number of different uh, uh, leadership uh, changes. And so at the end of World War II, the head of the Air Force took over and was a pretty just strong-armed dictator for a short period of time. And so he spent a lot of money on getting the latest military equipment. And, of course, they had become uh, military uh, planes and all had become quite sophisticated because the war had caused there to be much development. And so they bought from the U.S. Uh, some hydroplanes. Obviously, if you know anything about Greece, they are just surrounded by water. They're a, pe a peninsula. And so... Uh, they get, and he was a pilot himself. That's why he was so excited. He was the head of the Air Force. Oh, anyway, uh, Air Force. I heard went from fourth to second. Is that correct? All right. You can give a little bit of a cheer. Okay. I know we're in the service. Okay. All right. But anyway, uh, he was in charge of the Air Force. So, and he was a great pilot. Well, this hydroplane came in, and they got it all ready to go, and the new head of the Air Force said, uh, let's go try the plane out. I'll fly it for you. I've learned how to fly it. And so they're out there in the military uh, base, in the, right on the bay. It was out in the water, and uh, it had the latest in equipment. And so they were just all excited about this. And so the thing uh, begins to go, and off they went, uh, taking off uh, right out of the bay. And as it went, uh, they were ooing and aahing over the latest uh, guidance uh, equipment and all that was there. And then the dictator said, uh, let me fly it for a little bit. Well, you know, he had not been trained on any of this. And uh, the uh, head of the Air Force, of course, was not going to tell the dictator no. So he said, yes, Your Excellency. So they put over the controls to him. And he, you know, flying it up there was pretty good. So that was okay. The uh, the lieutenant was feeling pretty good about it. But then the dictator said, let me land it. Mm. Well, again, you don't say no to a dictator. So he said, okay. And so they started coming in. And then, to his horror, he saw that he was making a landing in the, on the airbase runway, not the water. This was a hydroplane. It didn't have a way to convert midair. And, uh, and so... 
he's starting to sweat and he's trying to think of how to be as diplomatic as possible. And he says, Your Excellency, seeing that this is a hydroplane, do you not think it would be better if we landed in the water? And uh, the dictator said, Oh, and he pulled up uh, just at the last minute, switched over the controls uh, to the lieutenant, the head of the Air Force, and they made a safe landing in the water. Well, they both sat back. <laughs> they, I mean, that was close. And, and the dictator felt like a fool, you know, and he said, I can't believe that. I can't believe I forgot this was a hydroplane. And he promptly opened the door and stepped out into the water. <laughs> well, we, we hear lots of good things. And we get stirred. But I tell you, young people and older people, a lot of times you'll hear things and even get stirred but if you don't act on them, and if you don't get the truths that I'm going to give to you tonight, you'll forget them. And you will go back to depending upon yourself. John chapter 15, a very familiar passage, one of the passages God used in my heart in uh, those years of growth that helped me learn this uh, very important truth. I'd like to look at just a few of the early verses in this chapter. My grandmother was a godly woman who knew what it was to walk by faith. S.D. Gordon had an enormous impact on her as a young married woman. After the Depression, they lost everything, and, and she really learned to walk with God. Other of the great leaders, H.A. Ironside and others, had an impact on what it meant to pray, what it meant to, to walk with God. And she loved the author, Andrew Murray. His books had just come out a few decades before, that great preacher from South Africa. And I remember as, as I was going through all of this, she said, you've got to read Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. That's another book, by the way. If you've not read it, you ought to read it. And uh, that would lead me then to this whole truth about abiding in Christ. And I was so thankful for, for the beginning down that journey of understanding that. And this passage will show us how that we can live a life that comes that is consistent, a life that is re that regularly experiences victory, and we can just we can have as been talked about tonight a walk with God that has a just a life of prayer in which you see great answers. If you look with me at verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Young people, wouldn't you love to know that you have answers to prayer every day? Wouldn't you love to know God so well that you know his heart and you can see God do great things and see your faith substantiated? Well, if you abide in me, Jesus said, you can have that kind of prayer life. One man that I have been very stirred to read his biography, in fact, it's almost painful to read it when you see just how he was willing to be involved in intercessory prayer, and that was praying Hyde. And Dr. Wilbur Chapman writes about him. This is a very famous story. He was uh, beginning to hold campaigns, Wilbur Chapman was, a very famous preacher and evangelist, and he was having a campaign there in England, and uh, it was just going terribly. There was almost no one attending, no one was getting saved, I mean, it was a flop. And uh, 
he received a note that an American missionary, uh, John Hyde, was going to pray for God's blessing on that meeting. Now, he had not known John Hyde. He had heard a little bit about him, the great revival in South India, the Cassia Hills revival. He had heard of that, and he took note of it, but didn't take that much note of it. Well, the next night, without them doing anything different, the hall was packed, and 50 people accepted Christ as their Savior. The power of God came upon that meeting. Well, he knew John Hyde had been praying. John Hyde was in the audience. He asked, would you just pray for me? So they went to Wilbur Chapman's room, and, uh, and he says this about that. He came to my room, turned the key in the door, and dropped on his knees and waited five minutes without a single syllable coming from his lips. I could hear my own heart thumping and his beating. I felt hot tears running down my face. I knew I was with God. Then with upturned face, down while the, the tears were streaming, he said, Oh God. Then for five minutes at least, he was still again. And then when he knew that he was talking with God, there came from the depths of his heart such petitions for me as I had never heard before. I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was. We believe that prayer is mighty and we believe it as we never did before. I believe, according to Wilbur Chapman's testimony, that's when his great ministry began. That was an abiding Christian. And if you read John Hyde's biography, you'll see how he learned these truths. Another thing that you have when you're abiding in Christ, and this is something that you would think of, verse 8 here, and is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. You, begin, you will begin, if you're abiding in Christ, not only to come into a very effective prayer life, but you will come into a place in which you will begin to see fruit, people's lives changed because of your life. You no longer are being influenced negatively. You are influencing positively. People will be saved. There will be much impact from an abiding Christian. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The pastor tells about someone that had a peach orchard in Georgia, and uh, it was just one of those really good years. The peaches were just perfect. And uh, one of the workers told him, that uh, he was out uh, harvesting the crop and noticed a limb had fallen from a tree. And he noted that on that limb, the fruit wasn't perfect. It was rotted and shriveled. Why? Because that limb was detached from the tree. Let's just talk a little bit tonight. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Every person in this room can abide in Christ. Every Christian in this room can have continuous, ongoing victory. Every Christian in this room can know what it means to get a hold of God. Every Christian in this room can be a disciple that has much fruit. Young people, it doesn't matter what your past has been. Adults, it doesn't matter what what failures you've had. If you will learn these simple truths and get a hold of it, 
God will work through you. It's his promise. It's his teaching. Now, let me just set the context very quickly here. John chapter 13, 14, actually even before that, you have the upper room discourse. This is the night before Jesus was going to die on the cross. Things were really getting bad. They knew that the political establishment had, uh, uh, had now come and were, were set on destroying Jesus. The disciples were going to be in great danger. One of them had gone to betray. Jesus told them that. And so uh, these men were under enormous pressure. And they were going to be facing days that were going to be very difficult. Three days wondering about their Savior. And then the resurrection. But what did that mean? And then... Uh, Of course, the great beginning of the church with the coming of the Spirit of God upon them at Pentecost. And then it would be quite a battle in the days ahead. And let me just say, young people, you are the generation that's going to need to make the difference in America and around the world. We all know that. I think you're all sobered by it. I've appreciated very much our college students have had a good balance a great optimism that God can use them, but a sobriety about the day and age in which we live. And I'd really encourage you to look at the heart of Jesus here as he's trying to help his disciples. It would be as though he would be here trying to help you for the days that you have ahead. And by the way, he is here wanting to do that because he's promised to be with us. So we're going to look at three key players in this matter of abiding in Christ. It's Jesus, the Father, and you. Jesus, the Father, and you. So keep that in mind. Let's look first of all at the fruitful vine, Jesus Christ. Verse 1, I am the true vine. The book of John was written, as we find at the end of the, cha- of the book, to substantiate the deity of Jesus Christ. At the end of the first century, the Apostle John was the last living apostle. He was just a young man, your age, when he was a disciple. And God, the Holy Spirit, had put it on his heart to write this gospel, which would point out the teaching and actions of Christ that would show forth that he indeed was the second person of the Trinity, the Son of the living God. And seven times he uses the term I am, which was used in the Old Testament of Jehovah God. And so he's clearly declaring he is deity and he's declaring it in a way that it tells the essence of who he is. And one of those great declarations is right here in John chapter 15, I am the true vine. They were walking From the upper room on Mount Zion, uh, they were going to go down eastward, down the Kidron Valley, and come up to the Garden of Gethsemane where Christ would be apprehended. He would pray that great prayer there. And so on the way, there were vines on the walls uh, on either side of the little pathways that were there in Jerusalem. And he uses this, this illustration to explain himself. I am the true vine. 
I am not like Israel that was supposed to be a vine to help the world. I am the true vine. I have everything you need. Folks, we need to understand tonight, Jesus is all we need. We look at everything else, but Jesus is life. Jesus is love. Jesus is power. He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. He is long-suffering. He is the one that has victory over sin. Everything you could ever want. He is the shepherd. He's the bread of life. He is the uh, living water, satisfying to the depths of the soul. Young people, I want you to realize you were created by God for a relationship with Jesus Christ. You will never, ever find meaning in life until you are in a oneness with him. And what you will find, though, is that when you come into a oneness with Jesus, he is God. I am the great I am. He is Jehovah God. He is the all-powerful creator. There isn't a need you have that he cannot meet. There's not a, a thought you have that he cannot help you bring and have the wisdom needed to solve that thought. Everything that will come to your life, Jesus is ready to meet that need. Listen, young people, if you get a hold of it, you have nothing to fear in life. You have the greatest friend you could ever have. He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He is your shepherd. He will love you. He loved his disciples to the end. And we're going to see here in a minute what a close relationship he's talking about. So Jesus said, I am the true vine. So He's the key player here. But I want you to see there's another player, the first person of the Godhead. And my father is the husbandman, the vine keeper, the one that works with the, with the vines. And I think this is something we forget. God the Father, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God the Father right now, is looking into your heart. God the Father does things so that you can have the abiding relationship. God gave us the illustration of an earthly father. Now, I have the great privilege of remembering a father that really did love the Lord. He wasn't perfect, but uh, Dr. Jim and myself will both tell you when we think of our Heavenly Father, we can't help but think of our Father, the kindness, uh, His heart for us, His sacrifice for us. He was consistent. He was faithful. And, uh, and so if you have a Father that's endeavored to do, uh, endeavored to try to take care of you, you know the security and the warmth that comes from that. And uh, it's a wonderful thing when you think of the Heavenly Father. If you have... Some of you come from very difficult backgrounds. Don't impose the difficult background on the Heavenly Father. He loves you. He just, I'm telling you, just like a dad loves his boy and his girl, is willing to give him anything, that's our Heavenly Father. And yet he's the all-powerful ancient of days. He's the one that sits on the throne. He's the one that rules the universe. He is the all-powerful God. But what we find from this passage is, You've got God himself, the Father, who's working right now in your life. Think about it. 
You've got the Father, who's the husbandman, Jesus, who's the true vine, and the Spirit of God dwells in you to empower you to do anything that God wants you to do. The triune God is all about you. By the way, don't ever think you're insignificant. Don't ever think that no one cares about you. I'm telling you, young people, you're important. You're a child of God. You're an heir of God. You are important to God because of Jesus. And you are, he created you and he loves you more than I can even begin to tell you. It's a wonderful thing. So what does God the Father do? Now look at verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. There are two things that we see, two categories here. First of all, there is the branch that is not bearing fruit. In other words, it's the branch that's just not right with God. It's the branch that does not have the power of God. Now, it's a true branch. This means that they're truly saved, but it's a branch that's not bearing fruit. Now, let me just ask you to be honest with yourself. Are you bearing fruit in your Christian life right now? Are people being touched? Is the fruit of the Spirit there? Have you seen souls saved? Are your parents being encouraged? Are the peers in your youth getting closer to God because of you? If it's not, then you're in this first category. Now you say, that looks a little scary, Pastor. Well, it's not scary, and it's not exactly maybe what you first think when you look at it. Every branch in me that beareth not, not fruit, he taketh away. That really literally means to lift up. Okay. Vines are always put on trellises, right? They're always lifted up. If you've ever seen vineyards, why is that? Grapes are not like squash and pumpkins. If you've been out looking for pumpkins at all here in this fall season, they come out of the ground, or they're on the ground, I should say, and they thrive there. But you let a branch from a vine get to the ground, uh, get out of the sunlight, get into a dark, dank position, those grapes will not flourish. It's done. It's not going to, it's not going to bear fruit that you're going to want. So what does a vine dresser do? What does a husbandman do? He lifts up the branch, puts it back into the fresh air, puts it back into the sunshine, back into a place in which it can flourish. Well, that's what God does with us as Christians when we are not bearing fruit. He reaches down and touches your life. Now, the first thing he does is what he's doing tonight and what he's done last night and throughout today. He is using the word. He is using the conviction of the Holy Spirit to lift you up. Let me let you in a little secret, young people. It's a whole lot better to let him lift you up through the word than it is through other situations. I mean, when God has to deal He'll do whatever it takes because he loves you and he doesn't want you to mess your life up. So, you know, one of the greatest secrets to the Christian life, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to get this, is when God tells you to do something, do it. When God convicts you, respond. 
When you start getting in that position, it is a glorious reality because God just keeps putting you back up in sunshine. He brings you back into his presence. The fresh air of the heavenlies is there and you begin to thrive. But there are times that will hold things. Well, there are times when we just are not willing to, uh, uh, to listen to the Lord. And so he allows circumstances to come into our life. Prior to the time that I gave my life to the Lord, I knew better. I knew God had his hand on me to preach. But in my early uh, high school days, I was in the public school. We didn't have the Christian school at that time. And basketball began to be a God to me. I mean, it's a big deal. I'm telling you, in those big public schools, if you're on the basketball team, that's a pretty heady thing. And so I'm all excited about being on the team, and I had to go get my medical uh, test. I had grown six inches in the last about eight months, and uh, my heart hadn't caught up with it. It wasn't a, any big deal, but I had a heart murmur at that time that went away within a few months. But guess what that did to my basketball career that year? I was done. I was watching the basketball games from the stands. That is not fun. And so God protected me. I still didn't get it. So the next year, now I'm on the team. And uh, now we're ready to go. My whole body had caught up with myself, you know. And, uh, and so uh, we were ready uh, to go. And I crunched my little finger. My little, you know, pinky. It was just that. But my whole knuckle got crunched playing basketball. I had to actually have surgery on the thing. Guess what happened? Another season out. I began to get it. All right, Lord, um, this is my God. And it was after that that I had that trip and gave my life to Christ. Now, I got to play some basketball, and I've had some great times with that. But God took the God away that would have wrecked my life. The peer group, the whole lifestyle of the public school, those trips to the schools, the parties afterwards, my parents didn't know all that was involved. God said, I am reaching down because of the prayers of your parents and because I love you, and I'm going to lift you out of that, and praise God he did. I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for those two situations. Now, do you think I liked it at the time? No. Now, young people, when circumstances just seem hard, realize it's the, it's the heavenly Father who is reaching down trying to lift you up. He wants to get your attention because not bearing fruit is a terrible way to live. There's no purpose. There's no vision. There's no fellowship with God. Everything's self-centered. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. And so that's, that category is something that we need to be aware of. The second category is those that bear fruit. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. This has the idea of pruning. Uh, Andrew Murray says well in his book on abiding in Christ, why must this be cut away? Because it, talking about the extra wood, because it draws away the strength and life of the vine and hinders the flow of the juice to the grape. The more is cut down, the less wood there is in the branch and the more the sap can go to the grape. The wood of the branch must decrease and the fruit for the vine may increase. In obedience to the law of all nature, that death is the way to life. 
That gain comes through sacrifice. The rich and luxurious growth of wood must be cut off and cast away that the more abundant life might be seen in the cluster. Now, young people, there are many of you that have gotten right with God. And as you've heard some pretty strong preaching today on surrendering and dealing with sin and getting some of those things done, you may be sitting there thinking, I'm doing okay. Praise the Lord. And you ought to rejoice that God gave you victory. And you're bearing a little bit of fruit. Well, realize God wants you to keep dealing with self. Because the self-life may not be outright sin, but itself is still sin. And because the Father loves you, He wants you to have the fullness of a relationship with His Son. So He's going to take that knife and He's going to keep trying to to get you to allow him to cut away that self-life wood, that extra wood, those little growths that will keep the, the fruit from coming. And that'll go on all of your life. Now, what's the main way he does it? Look at verse 3. Now, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Listen to the Word of God in your devotions. Listen to the preaching. Be under as much preaching as you can. And when God takes the knife of conviction, say, praise the Lord. Lord, deal with that self in my life. Those things that are are too important to me. Those things that are distractions. Those things that maybe I think, "That's, that's a little extreme preacher. I'm going to give it all because I want to be used of God. That's the best way. But there will be trials. And embrace the trials. Oh, God gave me a big one at five years into the ministry when my son had a brain tumor. But every bit of that trial has, has been what I needed to deal with my self-life. And there have been others. Do not be afraid of God's trials because walking with Him is far more important than having life the way you want it. And, um, and so God is really uh, dealing with our self-life. Uh, you may have heard this little story about a little boy and a little girl, a small boy and his sister were riding on the back of the new wooden horse given to them as a present. We had one of those, so I can just see that when I was a kid. Suddenly the boy turned to his sister and said, if one of us would get off, there would be more room for me. (laughs) Now, that's how we live. You know, I like the biggest piece. I like this and I'd like that. And though we're not wanting to get into major sin, you know, you could be bearing a whole lot more fruit than you are, but you you waste time. You uh, indulge in stuff too much. Uh, You are still too aware of wanting to please people. In the subtle self-life, God wants to cut away. He wants to deal with it. And let me just say, young people, God wants you to live a holy life so that you can really know Him and be a testimony. Um, My father used to say, holiness does not make you spiritual. It clears the deck so you can be. (laughs) I thought that was good. William Burns, the great preacher, said, seeking personal holiness, the fundamental requisite for a successful ministry. And the famous statement of Uh, Robert Murray McShane, a holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Let Let me let you in on a secret. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you want your life to please Him. It's not hard to give up stuff. 
and to take a stand for God when you see him. He is holy. He is in the full brightness of glory right now. There is no sin. There is no self. And my friends, Christians who want to get close to the world know nothing of having the heart of Jesus. And so God wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to walk with him. And so he will be pruning us. Now, take this as really good. This second player, isn't it wonderful that the Father himself, God, the Ancient of Days, is right now, he's working in your heart. The Holy Spirit is in conjunction with him, and he's trying to deal with you right now. Why? Because he loves you. Just like a loving father, he's trying to give you gifts. He's trying to just free you. He's trying to give you the best of life. I mean, every dad that has any love for his kid would just do anything so that their child can have all that, that uh, they should have. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So that's something. We got the Son and the Father. Now we got to talk about us the abiding branch. Okay, let's look at verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth, say the next two words with me, much fruit. Let's say it again, much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. All right, to help you understand this, all of you have heard abiding in Christ. But that's one of the hardest concepts because it is a totally spiritual concept. Now, if you were, how many of you have seen a vine that bears grapes? You've seen it, all right, you've seen pictures, okay. Now, if you were to see a vine plant, would you go up to that vine plant and say, wow, look, there's the vine, and look at the branches. You look at them, what are you, what are you talking about? That's the vine. The vine is, I mean, you know, it's, you got the sort of the semi-trunk, it's uh, going through, you know, and then you got the, that's the whole thing is the vine. Do you realize what this is saying? You are part of Christ, and Christ is part of you. Young people, when you got saved, it was unbelievable. You went from a sinner headed to hell who had your spirit was cut off from God for all eternity without his grace, and you went from that, um, uh, that whole spiritual death to spiritual life. Ephesians 4.24 says that you are created in righteousness and true holiness. You were born again. You're a new creation. The Holy Spirit came to permanently dwell with you for all eternity, and you became one with Christ. You are a co-heir with Him, and when you get to heaven, you're going to be right there with Him with all the privileges of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's a big salvation. But the exciting thing about it is, it's all real right now. Amen. I'm looking at part of the vine. Amen. Your branches, which means you are permanently part of the vine. You can hardly tell the difference when you look at a vine, what is the branch and what is the vine because the branches are the vine and the, and the trunk going up is the vine. It's all one, Right? And so abiding is living it out by just believing it. 
the word abide means to remain, to continue, and it has the idea of staying in a functioning place that is already reality. You are a branch in the vine. The Father is doing everything He can to make your branch fruitful. But you're part of the vine. And the key is, and let's look at it again, back to verse 4, abide in me, continue in me. In other words, don't act independent from me. You know, I, can you just see a branch on a vine saying, this is ridiculous having to be hooked to this vine. I mean, you know, I, I, look at my grapes. I mean, I can do this. I mean, the, this is, you know, I'm just going to go off doing it myself. Well, of course, he couldn't. But um, what would happen if that branch just broke off and went off on its own? It'd be just like the uh, peach branch died and all of the fruit will be withered and gone, right? Now, aren't you glad we can't do that? Aren't you glad you're part of the vine forever and ever? And it's really true. But you can live that way. Ah, I can handle my life. I don't know how God is so patient with us. You talk about ridiculous. You know, creator, I don't need you. Savior, I don't need you. I got my plans. I got my will. I can do it. Well, we're going to see in a few minutes. It isn't pretty when you do it your way. It's not pretty. But the positive is what I want us to focus on. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. It just can't do it. Except it depend in its function as a branch in the vine. In other words, every branch knows I've got to have the sap from the vine. The root system goes down. Jesus, of course, uh, is, our, is the vine, and he provides all the divine energy. He divines all, all the divine life that we need, everything so that we can function, live, and, and then bear fruit. He does it all. And so the branch wants, and, and, the, and God the Father puts us in the best position so we can get everything possible from the Lord Jesus in our unity with him. And so we can't bear fruit of ourselves, but we need to abide. No more can ye except ye abide in me. He said, disciples, you gotta, you've got to be, depend upon me. I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that stays in that abiding relationship remains, continues, fully dependent upon me, understanding our, our, our unity. Uh, and notice this, and I want you to get this. You might want to underline it. He that abideth in me and I in him. You're a oneness. As you look at me tonight, I'm certainly just a human being, but I'm saved. And the Holy Spirit indwells me. Christ is in me. And at the right hand of the Father, I am in Christ. I am in a full spiritual unity. We're one. Over and over, it's in Christ, in Christ, Christ in me. What do you think the beautiful picture of the Lord's Supper is? You ingest what? The body of Christ. He's in you. You are in Christ. We have become one with our great Savior spiritually. That means that it's not 
all of your great resolution and your work, you can have confidence that if you make a decision and ask God to have his perfect will in your life in this conference, you can be absolutely assured that if you will abide in him, it will continue to get stronger and stronger and stronger, even through some of the difficulties, and it isn't going to be just a momentary thing because it's him, not you. That's really a relief. Man, when I got a hold of that, whew, that was a blessing because I knew my weakness. And by the way, you're not going to ever yourself get better. You may get better habits, but you're still going to be flesh until you die, and then you'll be fully sanctified when you get to heaven. It's got to be Christ in you, the hope of glory, living out his life. And so uh, how important it is, as James McConkie says, he fills us as the branch is filled from the vine by union with it and daily, hourly drawing upon it for every whit of its supply. And so he who looks to Jesus constantly will not lack blessings, but he who looks to blessings will lose hold of Jesus. I've had people tell me when they get a hold of this matter of the spirit-filled life and the fact that it's Christ, not them, for me to live as Christ, uh, that whole concept, it's almost like getting saved all over again. Now, you're, you know, it's just a matter of coming to truth. It's already there. It's not like anything happened. But all of a sudden, wow, I was saved by grace, and I can live by grace. I've got hope, no matter what my past is and, and how I've got to develop character and all these things, have, that whole process has to go on. I've got everything I need in Christ, and I've got God the Father working in my life. I've got the Spirit of God indwelling me. I can't lose if I just look to Jesus. That's really important because Satan's going to try to tell you, you know, something deficient about you. Let me let you know the secret. It's we all got the same disease. Okay, we're all deficient. And, uh, you know, the whole point is the vine says, I'm the vine. I want you to commune with me. I want you to be one with me. I want to have full fellowship with you. I want you to meet with me. Someone asked Emily Post, what is the correct procedure when one is invited to the White House and has a previous engagement? She answered, an invitation to lunch or dine at the White House is a command and automatically cancels any other engagement. <laughs> and Jesus said that we're to abide in him. That cancels everything else out. You know, that shouldn't be a problem. Did you know that Jesus wants to meet with you now? Did you know in the morning when you get up, he wants to meet with you? We're going to talk about that tomorrow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He wants to have a real relationship with you tomorrow and the next day. He knows you can't do it, but he died on the cross and rose again so he can do it. He's given you the Holy Spirit. You've got every bit of grace you need to be all that God wants you to be. It's not about you being a great Christian. It's about you being a spirit-dependent, abiding Christian that shows forth a great God. And so you've got to remember, as the end of verse 5 said, says, For without me ye can do nothing. On this serious note, let me finish this point with this little illustration. Uh, in Iowa, I'll just pick Iowa here. Iowa was having a, a drought, <laughs> okay? And uh, usually it has all kind of water. It's a beautiful state. And... Uh, 
Yes, thank you. And, uh, and so there's uh, this nice pond, and there's in that uh, pond is uh, a frog and a couple of ducks in there, and they, they become fast friends. You know, it's just really sweet to see this. This is not a true story, by the way. Um, and so uh, they are uh, enjoying it until this drought, the pond dries up. Well, the ducks say, well, it's been nice knowing you. And they're just about to fly away. Well, the frog's desperate because he can't get to another pond and he isn't going to make it without water. And he says, I can't, wait, 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 wait a second, guys. I've got to think of something. And then, of course, this was a brilliant frog. And so uh, he said, see that stick over there? Would you put that, each of you, in your bills there? And I'll clamp onto it with my uh, mouth and you just fly to where you're going. I'll hold on and we'll stay together. Ah, they flapped away. That is fabulous. That's a great idea. And sure enough, it worked. Ah, there's he's hanging on to that, and up he goes. Well, good old Iowa farmer looks up. You know, they don't normally see that every day, and uh, looks up there and says, "Wow, that's amazing. That's really a good idea. I wonder who thought of that." And the frog said, "I did." <laughs> mm. That's what happens to us. Okay, on a little bit lighter note. And we're beginning to see God work. I can do it. And uh, that's what happens to us. It's got to be. Now, we're still a branch in Christ, but you've lost the flow of the divine power. Now, I want to end with the sobering verse, verse 6, and we'll be done. The branch doesn't abide on a regular basis. Know what it says, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And the men gathered them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Now we know that we are forever, uh, we have the Holy Spirit of promise. We are in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. So why did he give this illustration? Because he wanted to graphically explain that a life that is not abiding is a worthless life. You know, you can have all kinds of wood that uh, when a, a tree dies, it's great for fuel, still has a purpose. But uh, vines, when they uh, die, when a vine branch dies, it, has n it does not even have purpose to burn in a fire that would provide heat. So the only place you put branches that come off of a vine is you put them in the garbage pile and burn it. That's the idea. You know, somehow we get this idea, well, you know, God's permissive will. That's what happens to God's permissive will. There's only one will, that's being abiding in Christ. Now, God's good if we make wrong decisions, if we come back to Him. He's so good to restore and work. But I'm telling you, during the period of time that we go our own way, we're like a branch that's broken off. We're not drawing from the Lord. And it, our lives are as useless as a broken off vine branch. You can't even make it look good. It makes me think of 1 Corinthians 3.11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall... Be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 
If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive an award, a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. All that comes from the vine, gold, silver, precious stones, will last for eternity and will be a glory to God. But what happens to all the things we do in the flesh? Burned up. Can you imagine building a house, spending everything you have, just doing nothing for about several years, this perfect house, and that's all you're living for, and then all of a sudden fire comes in. You escape out the window, but it's gone, not insured. Everything's gone. It's a bit of a picture. There was a couple that I knew in my first ministry, and they kept saying, Pastor, when we get our house built, then we'll serve the Lord. And I kept saying, let's serve the Lord now. And I can't remember, it was a number of years ago, I think the house burned fairly quickly. Something happened, and they were not able to inhabit the house. And they lost years of serving the Lord. Many Christians will be shocked when they get to the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be, uh, may be made manifest. And it talks about there, in fact, if you'll turn there with me, because I want you to see it, this will be our last verse here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. <clears throat> For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, <clears throat> whether it be good or bad. Young people, I want you to listen to me. The trumpet could sound today. It'll take a few days, and weeks, we don't know, and then the covenant will be made between the Antichrist and Israel. And the seven-year tribulation will begin. Somewhere probably in the first half of the tribulation will be the judgment seat of Christ. So it's very possible in the next months to the next couple of years, everyone in this room will actually fulfill 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And there's never been a day that it's more obvious that Jesus could come at any time. It could be a while. That's the way it has always been throughout history. But I think Jesus is coming soon. And my friends, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I want you to get this, as 1 Corinthians 3 says, every bit that was of the flesh, which is bad. I mean, you're not judged for your works here. That was all paid for at the cross. You're not at the white throne judgment. But everything in your life that wasn't by abiding in the vine, all that is going to be burned up, gone. And the only thing that will be there that will be of a glory to the Savior will be that which He did in and through your life. There'll be people around that you led to Christ. There'll be Christians that you touched, that the Holy Spirit worked. There'll be the change in your own character and life. And I tell you, the entire entire heavenly host will see what the real you is. You will be known even as you are known. How are you going to know Abraham in heaven? You'll know him by who he is. You're going to know who Paul is. And we're going to find out who you really are. I don't know of a truth, 
And Paul makes it very clear himself, a truth that stirs me as deeply as his truth. No more hiding. No more cover-up. I am what I am. It's not that we're going to be judged, but my friends, to not be able to honor the Lord by letting, showing forth that he was the true vine is a terrible thing. There are going to be Christians who have the crowns and they're going to be able to bow before the throne and cast those crowns as Revelation 4 says. And you'll have the great hallelujahs of heaven. The glory of God will be manifest and everyone will praise God for what you allowed God to do in your life through the finished work of Christ. There's going to be Christians who have nothing but their salvation to show for it. What would you be seen to really be right now, young people, adults? How much have you been in that dependent relationship on the vine so that he could do miraculous things in your life? What category are you? Are you not bearing any fruit? Or are you just bearing a little bit of fruit off and on? My friends, the day will come that we will all be made manifest. And that's what this is saying. The Lord Jesus is making this very clear. It's going to be gone. But then he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done in you. You can have answers to prayer if you abide in me. You will bear much fruit. You go on down that passage. You'll have my love. You'll have my joy. You will have great things happen. It's either a lost life or a greatly fruitful life. Which one will it be? Now, the good news is, as I finish, you can make a decision this week and if you come back next year, you can say, haven't been perfect, but I've been abiding, and God's given me victory. Roy Hessian was deeply moved by the great Africa, East African revival. They had revival for 50 years, just like the great awakening, Second Great Awakening in America. And in, uh, after he wrote, wrote The Calvary Road, and that's another great book to read, he was interviewed and he was asked this question, if personal revival was continuous or if it was just a point of time experience, and he said, it is continuous. And I want to tell everyone in this room, we can abide with, in Christ today, tomorrow, the next day. We can live in a revived state. We can grow more and more in our love for Christ. We can have more and more fruit. God will change us, develop our character, uh, give us the wisdom to take the steps of faith we ought to do uh, in our lives. It isn't up to our just our resolve. It is simply our looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's abide. I am the true vine. The father's the husbandman, you're the branches, and you're one with him. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the 2021 Degeneration Youth Summit. If you were blessed by this sermon, don't forget to make plans to join hundreds of other young people next October 12th to the 14th for our next meeting in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit thegeneration.org slash summit. And until next time, thanks for listening.